Um, yeah, so I guess the, the story for Shadows of Innistrad... Oh, come on, stop. <laughs> Give it a Hour of Devastation is a fan-supported, listener-supported podcast supported by people just like you. If you like what you hear and want to show your support, head over to patreon.com slash hour of devastation. A pledge start from as little as one dollar. Thanks. Welcome to Hour of Devastation, a weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neil. Hiya. How are you doing this week, Sam? I am feeling a lot better than I was last week. <laughs> good. That's very good to hear. <laughs> I think I was kind of having a bit of a meltdown and a crisis last week. Uh, and I think that came through on the recording, which uh, I apologise for. But, it's, yeah. I, th- I think it's understandable. It's uh, it's an unprecedented time. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about it uh, as, as much as we can avoid it this week, I think. No, yeah, we, we, we said that last week, and then I just proceeded to talk about it loads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's still a hard time. It's still... Uh, sucks to be alive but um yeah we're just we're gonna have a fun time because this is our 100th episode ish yeah we it feels like we started recording this podcast like a couple months ago but also like i've been doing it forever yeah it i mean it, it feels like it's been a very long time to me and uh, yeah i think it's cool i think we've probably done more than 100 episodes in total so far but this is this is episode number 100 official yeah, this is the one I'm going to call episode 100. Yeah, same. When I upload it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so that means we've been going for roughly two years. Yeah, I think it's pretty much to the day. Yeah, I got a notification on, on Twitter saying that we'd had our Twitter account for two years. Because that's wild. It, it Like, yeah, I mean... Yeah, we all know that's the most important thing about a podcast as well, the Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, I definitely utilise it as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I do is just post the episode and basically don't do anything else. Um yeah, it's amazing, uh, and you know, I guess we've got something to show for the last two years of two idiots talking about things they don't know for an hour at a time. Yeah, I like to think that we've developed. Maybe I, I don't. Know. I think we've we've definitely oh, I think gained it's a lot, lot better of experience. Than it was a hundred percent, definitely from like episode one, where we're a lot better. I think we're a lot better at just kind of getting the flow of things and talking about things, as opposed to having this like this structured oh we'll do this pack opening oh we'll do this oh we'll do that we don't really know what we are so i think we're kind of found our footing i guess yeah and i think we know what we are and i think what we are is just two people chatting absolute crap for an hour yeah uh, and then editing it into something that's vaguely listenable i hope <laughs> which so is what, which is what i wanted all along <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> I think that was it. I think we have come a very long way from when we, we decided to start the podcast all those those years ago, I guess. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I think we... we I, th- I think I'm very happy with, with what we do, and I think the, the initial... The initial, I guess, idea really was just to... Oh, like, we both enjoyed talking about magic. We both like engaging with it on this level. Why don't we just record it and put it out there and see if anybody is interested? And... There, are, there's certainly some people interested, so that's that's awesome, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, thank you to anyone that that does listen, that you know, listens every week or listens when they can. You know, we we appreciate it. That's that's all we do it for. Just to, I mean, to be fair, the reason I do it is because it's like a couple three hours I can cut out of one of my evenings to just talk about my favorite thing with one of my favorite people, <laughs> and then just the excuse of like, oh, I'll just record it and put it online. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much pretty much the reason I, I do it too i think at this point it's it's i think it, it means it means a lot to me that i can 
I can just have this time to to engage with with magic with something that I really enjoy on this level and also do something creative question mark with it as well yeah definitely definitely it definitely counts as creative it's you know I mean I've I've learned vaguely how to edit a podcast yeah so that's a transferable I, skill right yeah absolutely. and I think yeah I think in terms of like you know being able to like as I say this, I'm not going to just forget all my words and completely mess it up. But, but like knowing how to like navigate a podcast and lead it places and be able to like sort of control a conversation better. Um, yeah, I think I've definitely got some kind of. So I've definitely got a lot out of it. Yeah, I, I think you you've definitely grown a lot as far as like content creation goes. Uh, I still feel like I'm learning to drive the bus every day, but we'll get there definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if nothing else, I've spent the last two years creating a beautiful friendship. So that's something, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm glad at least one of us sees it that way. Wow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, most of our conversations are me just getting angry at, some, about, at you about something random. So. <laughs> cool, so what are we doing today, Joe? This week we have a, a bit of a different episode uh, to our regular scheduled program. Uh, because there is no real regular scheduled magic at all anymore, uh, we're doing something a bit different, and also it being uh, episode 100, well, why not just do a bit of a, a celebration of the podcast? A celebration of us, maybe? I mean, it sounds a bit self-indulgent, but... We don't deserve to be celebrated, let's be real. I agree. I fully agree with that sentiment. But we do we do have some questions, so we're, we're going to do a mailbag episode. We put a, a shout-out uh, at the podcast last week and on social media saying hey if anyone has any questions they'd like answering about anything at all no hold barred just throw them at us and we're going to answer them so that is the plan for today i think yeah i'm very excited do you want to read them or shall i uh, we can take it in turns i think okay cool do you want to hit the first one yeah i'll, I'll go for the first one so i guess i'm just going to read them in the order they're on the document would sure yeah that works awesome so first up i guess we got some some questions from we reading out the names you know like 90 seconds ago when we said we'd really improved as a podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think that's true uh yeah you can you can do whatever you want read the names don't read the names do what you want cool yeah so this one this question comes from ben uh the first question we have here is does bad artwork put you off playing certain cards yes very much so yeah, I, are you going to explain more than that, or, or just no, a that, yes? That's, I feel like that's quite short episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a very short episode. Where I just say yes or no to each of these yeah. questions. Um, yeah, I think it, it does. I mean, I'm very particular about the cards that I acquire, the cards that I play in decks. Yeah, whether that be in constructor formats or in commander, um, I am known for collecting a lot of shinies. Um, and like certain artwork, if I like really like a card, but the artwork's bad, I kind of don't want to play it a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and like I, I, yeah, like I said, I collect versions of stuff. So like, there's a very spe- like I play one of the arts of Night of the Reliquary, for example, or like I play um, Revised Birds of Paradise because I like that art the most. And like that very much informs how I how I build decks, yeah, um, and which cards I put in my deck. Um, and it does suck when cards have bad artwork that I need to play. Well, like like look at Jewel Lands, <laughs> like whoa whoa uh, Savannah and <laughs> Savannah and Scrublands suck. No, they're, they're great. They're iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're iconic, but they're like, when you look at them, you're just like, well, that's just some grass and some sky, right? That's oh, not like more, an inspiring piece of artwork that's cool to look at in the same way that like other pieces of art are really cool to look at. See, I, I think they are. I think this is where it comes down to the, the bad artwork. I mean, 
art is art, right? It's 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 subjective. What's bad to, to one person is is fantastic to another person. Uh, and yeah, like you might not scrub, might not like Scrubland, for example, but I, I think Scrubland's a fantastic piece of art. Okay, sure, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think speaking of this question, does does artwork put me off playing Magic cards? Uh, I think it's really annoying that loads of cards that I kind of have to play in my commander decks are illustrated by Therese Nielsen, and that upsets yeah. me. Um, so I, that I mean, I have to play those because there's only one printing of them. I have Therese Nielsen art, so that sucks a lot. Yeah. So I think for me, so does bad artwork put you off playing certain cards? I I don't know if it does. I think bad artwork, not necessarily the artwork, but the, I guess, the, the card style. Like, is that what we're calling them these days? Uh, and that includes like like the frame and the border and the the whole, I guess, the whole design of a card face, really. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I don't know if it puts me off playing certain cards, but it definitely puts me off collecting certain cards. Uh, if you know, for example, the, I mean, it, it's very easy to pick on them, but the, the Armenkert invocations, I have, I have no interest in playing with any of those cards at all, like ever. I, I think, think they're really nice. I'm a big fan I, of those personally. I think some of the artwork on them is nice. I think the art. The artwork is very good, but the frames, the borders, the, the font, not a fan at all. So I think that would definitely put me off playing playing those cards. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I I play a lot of old school magic and obviously old school art is it's a bit it's a bit marmite sometimes. Like sometimes the art is, is incredible. Um I guess in my opinion, like Scrubland or <laughs> <laughs> uh, or I mean, Underground Sea is probably my favourite piece of magic art. I think sometimes they're like a really, really nice, well illustrated, high quality piece of art like that. And then yeah, like other times they're just like, like stasis. What's going on there? I love stasis. Stasis is stasis is iconic, but I think it is it is bad artwork. Like yeah, this is the thing. I think I think a lot of things. It's like there's a lot of things, a lot of magic cards that are like objectively bad pieces of art. But because you've played them so much, because you've seen them so much, because they're on such an important card, and I guess that'll come on to Ben's next question in a second, because they've got that, you, you like it? Um, yeah. I feel like that about, about like, I mean, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but like Chris Rush's art. Like yeah. A lot of Chris Rush's art isn't very good, but because it's so iconic, and, and you've seen it so many times and played with it so many times, that it just it, it becomes the art of that card, and you can't play a different version, you know? But I think I think what you said about like the way cards look, like I hate the M fifteen border. Yeah, okay. Like with the, the, the black bit at the bottom and the hollow stamp. Like I dislike yeah. it. It like it doesn't look like a magic card to me. Uh, because I got so used to the previous border and when I started playing magic I really sought out old border cards, right? Because they looked cool. Because <clears throat> they looked old, they they had some part of history of magic in them. Um so whenever I can I avoid playing cards like the hollow stamp cards, um, with the M fifteen border and try and play with like exclusively Mirrodin border. Okay, or 8th cool. edition border or whichever you yeah, choose I guess that's quite interesting so I think I I don't know I think I'm a bit strange so I I think the I guess the old school the old school borders is probably my favourite I think but I really like the like the M15 onwards border I think I guess my two favourite borders are probably the original borders and then the newest borders I don't really like anything in between I mean that's cool I just, I, think I just like they don't look like magic cards to me. I think it's the thing because I got so used to playing with the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, 
It's an interesting one. I think definitely like the old like the old style original border is definitely my favourite. But I think since we've since they've introduced like the the M15 border with like the I guess the the curved the curved side bits and the the hollow stamp. I think I much prefer that to your your in the middle border. Yeah, you you can be wrong and that's fine. <laughs> there are, there are no there are no wrong answers. There are many wrong answers and they're all yours. <laughs> sure. Right. So with that being said, we'll move on to the next question. Uh, the I guess I guess uh, yeah I don't know. I guess I just just want to touch on a similar to a similar point to you. Um, sure. Before we move on. Uh, Again, like not not necessarily bad artwork, but there are definitely some some cards that I just wouldn't play because of the art stuff, like Invoke Prejudice. Oh um, sure, yeah. If it's like yeah. if it's illustrated by an actual Nazi, then sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty much anything anything illustrated by Harold McNeil, where like the where it is totally unavoidable. So I think like the only card that I've played by him in any deck is like um, it's Relic Barrier in old school. Yeah, I I mean I have. Um uh, Japanese blackboard of Sylvan Library that he's illustrated. Yeah, and it's really annoying. Oh, I forgot you did Sylvan as well. Yeah, wow. because you can get obviously the EMA Sylvan Library. Yeah, and yeah I yeah. guess the Commander Arsenal Sylvan Library has the same art as well, um, which is very nice art and I like it. But like, it's a Japanese language old border card, which is like one of my one of my favorite things. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that he's illustrated. I should probably just move it into a Japanese EMA one, to be honest with you, because it does upset me that I have to play that art because he's an actual Nazi. Is a bit weird. <laughs> I think I think it's very on brand for us that thirteen minutes into our one hundredth episode, we've already discussed hating Nazis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I agree. I think yeah, that is it's very fully, fully on brand. Absolutely. Cool. Do you want to move on to the next question? Yeah, go for it. So the next question from Ben is: uh, Doesn't it pain you to see amazing artwork on unplayable jank? Yes, I think the uh, the my my personal example of this is uh, Demystify from Rise of the Eldrazi. Which okay. is which is by Veronique Maynard. Uh, yeah, Google it. Go look it up. It's yeah, a very okay. very nice piece of art. Um, it's like she's got a very specific style, and it's kind of weird that she illustrates. She well, she used to illustrate magic cards because she hasn't properly done one since um, Zendikar block. But she did. She did. There was a token Modern Horizons. The Illusion token is one of yeah. hers, which is like very obviously hers as well because it's kind of like um, I can't think of the word for it, but like like. Kind yeah, of, that that art is really. I'm just gonna know, that art is really nice. The Mystify, yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's one of my favorite cards. Like I own, I own several foil copies of that card just because I like the art so much. But yeah, the, the Mystify nice is unplayable, and which is unfortunate. I, I quite like the Onslaught one as well. The uh, Chris Ru- Chris Rush version. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's what, like, one of my favorite pieces of art. My favorite cards, like Veronique Maynard, is like one of my favorite artists. Um, many of her like the full art Zendikar lands that she did, but her art's just like so so strange for magic and it fits yeah. so well into Zendikar block but it's like different shards of like it looks like different coloured glass kind of make up her a lot of her compositions a lot of the time and it's unfortunate that that appears on such a bad card like Demystify <laughs> that I just like I have no no place to play it not even Commander yeah totally but yeah I find that a lot of the time and like you know you're going through you're doing a draft and you see an amazing piece of artwork and it's on like a seven mana five five with downside and you're like oh, okay <laughs> it's just, it's unfortunate that like so much like amazing art gets commissioned from so many great illustrators and, and artists and that you just don't get to see it as often as you should whereas like like we yeah, talked about before absolutely. like something really really good that sees play all the time and has a capacity formats just like looks like crap unfortunately yeah um i guess even even as, as recent, I think one that sticks out to me, um, I know it was a card that I, I loved a lot in Limited, but 
it saw absolutely zero constructed play at all. So you only saw it in a draft or sealed. Was there a time of ice from Dominaria? Yeah, it's, it's true. Like all the sagas, yeah, right? all of the saga. Yeah, pretty much all of the sagas are just incredible. Yeah, like it's 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 called that um, Elspeth conquers death to sing some standard play. Yeah, but like basically all of the sagas were like apart. Um, I guess history of Banalia. History of Banalia, and then sometimes uh, you could play a, a sideboard Eldest Reborn in a control deck, uh, and Antiquities War as well. Yeah, the Antiquities was, the, the sideboard, the it was a sideboard card yeah. in the. Um, and the the mono blue storm deck. Yeah, the antiquity war sees like some random legacy and vintage play occasionally, and some modern play in like artifact yeah. decks as like kind of a, a version of Tezzeret kind of. Um, but yeah, like all of those sagas are amazing. Like so, same with Song of Frailies, which did see a bit of play, but like they're not like staples, and they have like such amazing art on them, and especially yeah. in that like weird um, vertical border thing where the art is, they, just, they look so cool, and it just it, it feels unfortunate they just never seen any play, and it's especially bad when they're on like cards that are even unplayable in draft. Yeah, like you get really nice art, and it's just like I'm never gonna get to see this again, <laughs> which is really true. <laughs> but it's how I feel about the demystifiers. Why I collect them so I can look at them every now and again, because especially in foil, that art's just amazing. But yeah, it doesn't upset me when um, like great art is on cards that I'll never get to play. I think I, I play quite a lot of, of limited, so I do get to play a lot of cards. I think with, with a lot of cool art, um, and even something that I might not see constructed play, like like Time of Ice, for example. Uh, but there are there are certainly like cards from like older sets where, where I see a card or like I'll be looking at something or I'll be I don't know I'll just be looking at random magic cards and I'll see something and I'll be like, oh that's a cool piece of art but then it's from I don't know like a, a set that came out in like 2004 I'm never going to be able to draft or, or play sealed I'm just never going to play with it because it's not a good card so it definitely does pain me to see amazing artwork on unplayable junk. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some cards that, like, have amazing art that I just, like, that are bad, that I force into Commander decks because I like the art and I like the way it looks. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, one card I encountered recently that I really enjoyed the art of was uh, Yukiana from Saviors of Kamigawa. So many of the Saviors, like, uh, of the Kamigawa cards in general have such amazing art. Yeah. And, like, you just don't get to play, play them because they all suck. So, uh, yeah, Yukiana, it's three and a red for a three-one spirit. Uh, it's an uncommon. When Yukiana comes into play, destroy target artifact. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, you may return Yukiana to its owner's hand. Yeah, so that's never going to be good anywhere. Yeah, I feel like it's probably some sort of like spirit, tribal, Kamigawa-themed commander deck, maybe. I mean, not even then. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably not. just not good enough. But that's the thing. Like, I think that that's... Uh, just it just proves why why everyone hates Kamigawa so much because the flavor's great, the art's amazing, and then the cards all suck. Yeah, and you just can't play these like amazing pieces of art unless they're like GTA and Sensei Divine Top and Azusa, basically. Which is unfortunate. Right, cool. You want to move on to our next question because I'm really excited to answer it. Yeah, let's go for it. So, the next question comes from Joel, which is, how many Jovens would it take to cover the Palace of Westminster? It's <sighs> the most Joel question that Joel has ever asked. It is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Uh, yeah, so for, for those who don't know, Joven is a card from Homelands. It is three red red for a summon legend, Joven. Uh, he's a 3-3, three, three, and you can pay red 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 and tap to destroy target non-creature artifact. <sighs> yep. So, we're going to work this out. Um, I mean, Joel's only asked this because he loves Joven. And Joven is incredible. Joven is hands down one of the best magic characters. Uh, on like aesthetic alone. I'm I'm just gonna say that I like Chandler more, just to upset you. And and, <laughs> and Joel probably. 
It feels like most of the interactions we have about magic are just him talking about Joven. <laughs> so it makes sense he's asked this question. So, right. To cover the Palace of Westminster. Yep. Right? That's So the square footage of the Palace of Westminster is uh, 1,210,681 square feet. Mm. And that obviously doesn't include the walls or the windows or like seats and tables and light fittings and the and the walls that I've already said the walls and like the outside walls and everything like that. So it's gonna be far for me to find that information, but I'm gonna call it the square footage so at least all the floors are covered, right? All the yep. floors are covered in in, um, in Jovens. Right, and we're gonna find that out. So the, the approximate size of a Magic the Gathering card is uh, 2.5 inches by 3.5 inches. Yeah. Uh, so I'm now going to convert that into feet. Excellent podcasting. <laughs> uh, this is fantastic podcasting. It is. Uh, so that is... Oh, God, it's a recurring number. It's 0.083333333 feet. So we're going to divide... Uh, 1,210,681 feet by 0.083 feet and that come, they've, it's given me an answer in kilometres <laughs> so that's cool 14,528,172.0581 copies of Joven to cover the floors of the Palace of Westminster. That is a lot of Jovens. It's a lot of Jovens. I imagine Joel owns more Jovens than that. Probably. Quite possibly. But that's how many magic cards it would take to cover the, the, the I guess, the floors yeah. of Westminster. So, there you go. And now you know. I'm going to look up the Homeland's print run quickly. <laughs> yeah, there aren't that many copies of Joven in the world. <laughs> we can also, assuming that Joven as a character is six feet, six feet tall, right? Yeah, I, I would assume so. I was probably like I was six, just five. trying to I was trying to work that out while you were working out the yeah the uh, the card the card math there. I, I I think I think based on the fact that Joven's ferrets just look like the size of regular ferrets, we can assume that the size of regular ferrets, and then you compare them to Joven. Um, I I think Joven is probably probably I think it's fair to say Joven is probably around six foot. Yeah, but about six foot tall. So if that was the case, if you laid Jo- Jovens, if you if you cloned loads and loads of Jovens as a character and laid him end to end, foot to head, it would take two hundred one thousand seven hundred eighty of him, and then like nice. a foot, like one of his feet cut off, <laughs> stick on the end. Yeah, so if you laid him end to end, end to end on the Palace of Westminster, I guess that's how it works, right? I I think so. Sure. Yeah, yeah. a lot of Jovens, a lot of Jovens, Joel. That's the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Right. Move on to the next one. Yeah, go for it. Sweet. Uh, our, our next question. Oh, I don't want to answer the next question. <laughs> the next question comes from a friend of the podcast, Emma Partlow. Um, and Emma has simply asked, favourite crisps and why? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Sam. What are your favourite crisps? My favourite crisps, right. I will preface this by saying that I think crisps are overrated, actually not that good. Oof, that's that's fighting talk. That is <laughs> them's fighting words. I know. Yeah. Um, that's why I said them. But I'm not a big fan of crisps. Generally, 
I, I think they're kind of overrated, and I only ever eat them like with a sandwich. And even then, I'm just like, well, it's because a sandwich doesn't feel like a full meal, so I kind of have some crisps on the side, you know? Okay, yeah. So if we're talking favourite flavour of crisps, prawn cocktail, generally. Yeah. Any prawn cocktail crisp is great, including skips, which are crisps, and we'll come to that in a bit. Mm. Yep. Um, favourite specific crisp is uh, McCoy's salt and vinegar. Right. Nice, yeah. yeah decent choice. They're fine, yeah. If we're talking, I'm going to have to address this again in a sec, I just want to get my answers out. If we're talking corn snacks, yep. <laughs> which some people would call crisps because they're basically the same as crisps, I would probably say flaming Hot Cheetos. Yeah, that's, really that's fair. They are very good. They're very good. I was, was worried you were going to say Skips for a second there. No, Skips are good, though. Yeah, but they're not a corn snack. What are they made of? Tapioca. Oh, they're a, a prawn cocktail flavoured tapioca snack. Cool. Um, in that case, we better address why Emma has asked this question. Because on Twitter, I said that Flaming Hot Cheetos are my favourite crisps, and then everyone had a go at me and told, <laughs> and told, told me I was wrong. Because they're not crisps. Yes, but they are crisps in the fact that so if you were to buy a bag of crisps, if you asked for a bag of crisps, right, and someone bought you a bag of Skips or a bag of Cheetos or Watsits or something, or not Watsits and Cheetos, but if someone bought you one bag of those, you wouldn't be, like, annoyed, would you? They're in the same I, I wouldn't be annoyed because someone's bringing me food. Someone's bringing you food. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I wouldn't be annoyed. But right, so, I would, okay, okay, so but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider them to be crisps. Okay, let's think back all the way to January 2020 when it didn't matter if people actually handed you some things in your house. Um, <laughs> they, they're like they're, they're crisps, though, right? Like a, a, a plastic bag with like a foil lining containing some kind of salty snack, normally with some kind of absurd flavour. Because when you think about it, crisp flavours are weird. Even if they're not made of potato and a flat-ish shape, then they're still crisps, right? Like, they count as... No, because when, when you, go you could to, also be describing nuts there. When you go... Oh, my God. When you go... <laughs> nuts aren't crisps. When you go to a Boots or a Tesco and you get a meal deal, right, it says mm-hmm. sandwich and crisps and a drink. Ooh, sandwich and snack and drink. Yeah, but that's only because it includes, like, bags of apple and flapjacks. Also, it says sandwich and some of them are wraps. Yeah, yeah, so that's wrong. <laughs> so it, it doesn't matter, but you understand... When when someone says you can get a sandwich and a and a snack and a drink and there are wraps there, you know that the wraps count under sandwich, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. So therefore you know that Flaming Hot Cheetos and Skips count under crisps. But it says snack, it doesn't say crisps. crisps. <laughs> yeah, I understand that on the bag it says, <laughs> it says like, corn snack or whatever. But... <laughs> But the Mealdales doesn't say crisps. The Mealdale says snack. It used to say it crisps. Used, it, usually say, included... it usually says it usually says meal plus snack plus or main plus snack plus drink. Before they, before they included like chocolate bars and flapjacks and rice cakes for some reason because who wants to eat rice cakes? Then it said crisps and that included watsits and stuff that aren't traditionally crisps, I guess, but they still count as crisps in the fact that they're a small bag of about thirty grams that contains a salty snack that you would eat alongside a sandwich. That aren't yes, nuts. but, but le- legally they're not crisps. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what matters. If, if there's anything you can say about the Arab Devastation podcast, it's that we follow the law to the letter. Oh, when it comes to food, absolutely. <laughs> that's not true. Absolutely. That's not true. Um, but yeah, I have said my favourite crisps. Um, and I'm sorry for <laughs> starting that conversation about the definition of crisps. But yeah, prawn <laughs> cocktail flavour generally, my favourite flavour. Specific crisp is uh, salt and vinegar McCoy's. And then Flamin' Hot Cheetos are my favourite corn snack. 
Nice. There you go. What about you? Go. Uh, Seabrook prawn cocktail. A fine choice. A Seabrook. Yeah. Interesting. Seabrook. Big, big fan of Seabrook. It's yeah, where you I find think... Seabrook in a shop. I imagine true. currently we're massively alienating all of our listeners that aren't from literally the UK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Seabrook's crisps are kind of like, I don't know, they're like, they're not quite as harsh on the flavour, I think, as say something like your your Walkers or your Lays, I guess, if you're non, non-British non listening to this. Yeah. They're called yeah. Lays outside the UK, aren't they? Yeah, literally everywhere else they're called Lays. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they're, they're a bit softer on the on the on the flavour. They've got less of a less of a crunch to them, but I just think they're just there's something really satisfying about just scoffing a bag of seabrook crisps. They're <laughs> yeah. nice they're nice and salty, but it's that it's that like I, sea salt as opposed to like that harsh like chemical salt. I think the thing with seabrook is they're quite the seabrook crisps they're quite like light. Yeah. It's almost as if they've been air fried. Whereas like yeah, you get like, like a like a McCoy's is like very like there's a lot there, right? There's a it's lot to thick, chew through. Yeah, Whereas two like C's. a zebra. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that should be their next tagline. <laughs> McCoy's they're extra thick. Um, but yeah, they're like, they're like quite light, and they like almost like sort of melt in in your mouth. I'm really looking forward to listening back to that <laughs> when this episode comes out. Jesus Christ! <laughs> really wish I hadn't said that. But yeah, yeah I, know I, mean. I, like, I, very... I think it is. I think it's it's. The difference is is the salt. The, the salt that they use on on Seabrooks is sea salt. I don't know if that's true for all, uh, rice like Lay's or McCoy's or whatever as well. For a man that I know this week or last week has eaten a banana and Violife cheese sandwich, you have a lot of opinions on food. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure, cool. Is that that's your, your definitive favorite crisp? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've got plenty of other favourite snacks, but yeah, definitive favourite crisp would be the Seabrook's prawn cocktail. Uh, I also really liked the um, it's the Seabrook's uh, the Fire Eaters. So they did like a like a limited edition range of like just really hot crisps, um, and it was the it was the scorching hot Trinidad Scorpion Chili. Really, really good crisps. Yeah, I guess I actually didn't say why I liked the crisps that I like, which is what Emma specifically said. Um, and I do just like spicy crisps, like chili flavored. Yeah. So I never had any of those Seabrook ones, but they sound very good. But I like, like I'll also take a chili heatwave Dorito. Yeah, yeah. I just like yeah. spicy crisps. I think they're good. Like I, I want... Ch- chili heatwave Doritos is quite good, definitely. Um... Like I said, like I think crisps are overrated, but I think if I can just get a lot of like spicy, salty flavor in one go, that's why I do like crisps sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of big fan of snacks. I'm not sure how uh, yeah. engaging this is as podcasting, but I'm going to blame I'm going <laughs> to blame Emma, and she knows what she's done. Hey, we we said we said any questions, <laughs> we'll answer them all. <laughs> and unfortunately, we've we've stuck by that promise. Hell yeah! We'll Shall we move on? <laughs> yes, please hit the next question for the love of God. So, next question comes from Dean, which is, "Who is your favourite artists and why?" So, I think I've already said one of mine, which is yeah. uh, Veronique Maynard. Just because I, I like I like her color palettes and like the fact that if you go look at her other artwork, which I recommend that you do very strongly, um, it's not it's kind of fantasy ish, but it's not like magic fantasy ish. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like it feels very much, especially now, it feels it feels very much deviated from uh, from like, the art direction that they go for these days. But um, it's sort of like whimsical random shapes that just like happen to form a um, happen to form like a mythical creature or something or, or some kind of part of a landscape 
which is really really cool. So I, I like hers very much, and I, I collect her version of uh, the Full Art Zendikar basics. They're like yeah. my favorite basics. Uh, and other than that, it's probably Rebecca Gay. Yeah, Rebecca Gay is is very good. Because I think I think it, that's something else. Well, like it's it's very. It, I mean, I suppose it wasn't at the time when she was doing most of her artwork, but it's very deviant from from the art direction, right? And I think that's yeah. why why I was so drawn to it. Um, when I like when I first saw it, I was so used to because I started playing in 2013. Yeah, uh, and that was like you know the start of when the or like midway when their when their art direction was very set and like everything had to look the same. And everything had to obviously be from the same game, the same universe, right? Or the same multiverse, yeah. I suppose. So I was very used to seeing cards like that that all looked very similar, very same, like they could have been done by the same artist or like artists that were working in the same sort of circles. And then when, when I went back and looked at older cards and saw Rebecca Gay's art, it was just so different and like kind of this Art Nouveau style. Yeah, totally. Um, and I like Art Nouveau stuff anyway, but uh, I just I, I like that in, in terms of like putting that onto a magic card. And she's just done so many amazing pieces, and you can you can always tell when it's Rebecca Gay art. Like it's very very obvious when it's one of her pieces. Yeah, it, it's really stylized. It almost has this like like stained glass look to it. It's yeah, yeah. definitely one of those artists you can you can just pick from a lineup and yeah, yeah absolutely. She's and a just, fantastic like, artist. So many of her cards are so nice, and it's always nice when I get to play one of her cards. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they're just really, really good. And I I, I did I, I I felt this way for so many reasons. Um, about Therese Nilsson's art, but no, fuck Therese Nilsson. Yeah, it's episode one. It's episode one hundred. I can say fuck Therese Nilsson, right? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I think so. Cool. Who are your favorite artists, Joe? So my favorite artists, uh, I I think I think I'm probably going to do like a like a top four, but I'm going to start with start with my favorite. Like Wait, you get down. four? Why not? Why do not? I get Do I get four? All right, you do yeah. your four, then I'll I'll pick two more. Go ahead. Cool. So I guess. Straight up, I'm going to start with my, my favourite, hands down, is Rob Alexander. Boo! Rob Alexander's fantastic. That's the most basic bitch answer I've ever heard. Oh, he's so good, though. Like, yeah, everyone like likes Rob Alexander. If, you, yeah. if one of your top four is also John Avon, I'm going to stop being friends with you. No, no, definitely not John Avon. Not that I don't like John Avon's art, it's just everyone picks John Avon, it's kind of boring as an answer. Yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely, but hands down, like some of my favourite art has been done by Rob Alexander. Uh, I think, like, like I said before, Underground Sea is probably my favourite piece of magic art. It's just it's just incredible to look at. It's I think it's the thing in- with, uh, with Rob Alexander is it's just like it's very s- sort of quintessential fantasy landscapes a lot of the time. Yeah, totally. And he's very very good at that one style. And it's just like it, it just is magic landscapes, you know. His his yeah, art definitely. is just like how I how I think all magic lands should look, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's why I like it so much because every magic, well, okay, ninety nine point nine percent of magic decks need land, and yes. when you you're playing with this land, you want to be looking at the land and be, I guess, be sort of transported to that realm, and it really helps to play into like the the escapism, really, just to see the to see the land, to see the the cards come to life, and I, yeah, I just think nobody nobody does land like Rob Alexander. Yeah, I think I think part of my problem, the reason I picked the, the two that I did is because they're so different. Whereas I think Rob Alexander is just like is the magic artist outside of like Chris Rush, I guess. It's just like this is what magic cards art looks like. Yeah, and I think it's just kind of like it, you can't. If you showed me two art side by side, I couldn't pick out which was Rob Alexander, whereas I could with um, 
like men odd and gay, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The art style is isn't as as stylized, I guess, as those two. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. It's it's not. It's just like very, I think, very I good think, illustrations of like. Yeah, what I, I think. Is. I think it's probably one of those things where, like, if you are if you are a big fan of that artist and you do pay sort of special attention to the pieces they do, I think it's. I think I do think he is an artist where it's quite easy to pick up on, especially as all of his traditional pieces, it's very easy to pick up on what is a Rob Alexander piece and what isn't. Especially his earlier stuff. It's it's the way he, he does colours and you can you can see you can you can almost just see the the brush strokes and some of them are incredible. Like something like Floral Spasm, you could just look at that art and instantly tell just from that colour palette alone that, that is that is a Rob Alexander piece. Yeah, sure. Oh uh, yeah, I, I think that's I mean I I love Rob Alexander stuff. I just think it's kind of like a boring answer. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, oh, I just I just think he's great. He's fantastic. Cool. All right, well, here's your next one. Okay, so my next one is I guess probably another one that you're gonna say is a boring answer. Uh, it's it's Amy Weber. That's not a boring answer because Amy Webber's art is really weird. <laughs> it's yeah, that's why I love it so much. It's it's so strange in the best of ways. Uh, obviously, she's done a lot of old school stuff, so she's one of the the early magic artists from back in the day. Uh, most notably, Time Walk is probably the one that everybody knows. Just the the strange, like not even skeletons because some flesh of them still people. have like yeah, like flesh and, and muscle still on. Yeah, I guess we're walking towards Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just as a concept for a piece of art, it's very, very weird. It's yeah, it's incredible. Her stuff is really strange, really out there. Uh, I think as a complete contrast, like Underground Sea being my my favourite bit of magic art. Quite possibly my second favourite bit of magic art is Time Bomb. I can't, I can't picture Time Bomb. It's the one with the skeleton with the big red balloon. <laughs> Give me a sec. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very weird piece of art. It's so strange. Yeah, I think yeah. She that's just so like... weird. Just like the, it's sort of like th- like the thick black lines and like it, it's kind of like coloring book art. But then obviously the concepts like the, the like the piece that she's made is so so weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very very strange stuff again. But it is also very stylized. And I, I think with the vast majority of her pieces. If you're familiar with her style of art, you would look at it in a lineup and go, "Oh, that's hers straight away." Because to be fair, if you look at so that's that's the Cold Snap version, right? No, no, Cold Snap Ice Age. It's the, uh, the yes, Ice Age yeah. version. If you look at the fifth edition version of Time Bomb, which is by George Pratt, that is just as weird. <laughs> oh yeah, it is it's just definitely very strange. Definitely odd. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Cool. Uh, it, it's. It, I think I know who your next two might be, but carry on. Okay. So my, I think the the next one. I'm going to go for Mark Poole. Not that I dislike Mark Poole's art. Like I said earlier, like I play Revised Birds of Paradise because it's my favourite Birds of Paradise art, which is by Mark Poole, but ugh, it's such a boring answer. But carry on. Yeah, but <laughs> but he's, he, he definitely is. Again, it's that, it's just that old school art. Like you said, your, your old school Birds of Paradise looks great. Uh, old school Balance. Balance is, is a fantastic, iconic bit of art. I think that's that's one of the things I really like is just the the really iconic pieces. Yeah, sure. And sure, they yeah, don't I really come. That, yeah. They don't come much more iconic than things like Ancestral Recall. Like Ancestral Recall is not necessarily the greatest picture, the greatest painting to look at, but it's very iconic. Um, 
I guess Library of Alexandria as, as well is probably another pieces of, of of magic art. I think is definitely in my top five of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think if you if you like look at iconic artists in magic, it's Chris Rush, Mark Paul, and Dan Frazier probably. I like the big yeah, three. Yeah, quite boldly, In terms yeah. of like old school iconic art. Cool. Who's your who's your fourth one? It could be like one of three, and I'm surprised you haven't picked all three of them. You're gonna know this one. Uh, this my fourth and final one is is it's probably. Yeah, it's going to be Mark Tieden. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, Come on. There's like, you you, you there's, can't look at, like, brain geyser and tell me that that is not incredible art. Of all the Mark Tieden pieces to pick, you're picking brain geyser. It's not, again, not my favourite, but it's it's iconic. I think my, my favourite one of his... Manavolt? Any, any no, of Mirrodin No, definitely Block? not Manavolt. Any of it's, Mirrodin Block? Nemesis of Reason? Nemesis of Reason's amazing. Uh, no, it's it's either got to be it's either got to be Chaos Orb. Okay, sure, yeah, that's fine, defensible. Uh, Juzum Jin. Yep. Or maybe maybe it's City of Brass. No, no, I think the thing with City of I think, Brass. I think it, I think it's I think it's the lands. I think I just really I really enjoy lands. I really enjoy <laughs> yeah. nicely done landscape, and I think it, like like Library of Alexandria, like Underground Sea. I think City of Brass just stands out as a, a really nice one for me. Yeah, I think the thing is, my problem with City of Brass is it, it doesn't look like the rest of... The reason I like Mark Tieden, I like Mark Tieden because it's like these like sort of harsh... Um, these like it's, harsh it's lines. It's the pinks. I think it's, it's the colour palette for me, I think, yeah. is what does it for me. Like, especially in some of its more... Some of it is, is, is stranger art, I guess. It's, it's The use of pink is, is prevalent, and I, I really like the way he uses it. Think, Everything from like emeralds, like mixing in sort of pinky tones in like a fireball colors. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think I think it's just like I think the, the reason I like Tieden so much is like, like the, sort of the bold colors and the dark lines contrasted with whites and light stuff. So you yeah. can see that stuff like Man of Vault, where it's just like a weird sort of combination of lines of different colors and different like saturations and stuff. And the same with Emrakul, he's like his Eldrazi stuff is really really good. And Nemesis of Reason, even though it isn't an Eldrazi, looks kind of Eldrazi y, Eldrazi ish. Yeah. Um, and so like, where it's and like like Sol Ring, where it's like spiky and kind of like the contrast in it, I just think are just so obviously Tieden that like I I'm a big fan of, of that kind of stuff. I would kind of wish I'd picked Tieden now. Yeah, he, I, he is incredible. I do get two more though, right? Oh yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah, I think I think again like this. Going back to the question that we had earlier, with um, like does it does bad artwork put you off playing? I guess not even necessarily that question, but that I guess that thing we touched on earlier, like seeing seeing art, it doesn't really like seeing art on very powerful, very playable cards. It doesn't really matter how good or bad the art is. It kind of just gets a gets a bump up in the grades anyway because you just associate it with that card and you know how good that card is. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. I think true. there. I think there is definitely some of that to my picks, but as pieces of art alone, I, I think uh, you know, all of the art, those artists have done some of my favorite pieces of, of, of art in the game. I can't believe you didn't pick Folio, either of them. Yeah, they were very, 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 very close. They're probably probably fifth, I think. Yeah, Sulphur Springs is one of my favorite arts. Sulphur Springs is incredible. Also, can't believe you didn't pick Dan Fraser. Yeah, again, Dan Fraser. Also has done some very very iconic art. So I'm going to pick two more. Yeah, go for quickly. it quickly. Uh, Philip Burbrand. 
Oof, yeah, nice. Big fan of Philip Oberon, just like the spiky, like kind of similar to Tedin, in like yeah. the sort of like spiky, like big, bold, contrasted colours. Like, like obviously, uh, Ilhard the Rose Boar is like one of my favourite cards. And the illustration of that's really, really good. His Tarmogoyf is amazing. I actually think it's the best Tarmogoyf, and I don't care yeah. who disagrees. Um, and like Collector Roof, I think is really, really good. Um, I just really like a lot of his art, and like he's kind of. And like it's 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 very very stylized, but it's still very very magic, and I like that sort of because it's stuff like uh, Ronnie Maynard and, and Rebecca Gay. It's like very stylized and kind of doesn't feel like magic, and like that's kind of similar with like people like RK Post as well. Yeah, but I think Philip Philip around like mirrors that kind of like you can definitely tell it's him, but he like definitely feels kind of magicy. Uh, and then a fourth one quickly, uh, Kev Walker. Yeah, Kev Walker is is incredible, Kev and incredible. Kev Walker. Uh, it's very hard just to just to narrow it down to like four like I did but um, yeah. Yeah, it's Kev, Kev Walker is, is easily in my top ten again possibly even my top five I think yeah I, I, I love Kev Walker he's great just like he's sort of like washed out colours and like he's really good at like big shapes in art yeah um, I, just, I just, think, just think his work's really really good and it's, it's, it's I always like finding out that one of one of the cards I'm playing is by Kev Walker yeah definitely I think uh, like, so the only signed cards that I play uh, are uh, Infernal Tutors in my Ad Nauseam Tendrils deck that I got signed by Kev Walker. Yeah, that art's so, so great. That art's great. Organised like a like a big modern tournament a couple of years ago at the York Traveller Man shop when they, they moved into their new store and we got Kev Walker in to do like a signing and like sketching and stuff and that was really cool. I got I got to meet him and got my Infernal Tutors signed by him and it was yeah, it was super awesome. Yeah, it's really sweet, sweet, sweet. His, art, his art's great. I mean, this thing, I, we've spent a lot of time on this question but it's just so, it's so important. Like, yeah, magic is like one of the most important things about like the art is is the most important thing about magic, right? Yeah, definitely. Like when the arts, when the arts, I don't even want to use the word good because the art is pretty much always good. But like when the art just hits right, it's it's something special. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's very emotive. It's very like it keeps you. It makes you want to play the game. Makes you want to like acquire foils, I guess, or like specific arts, like we said, for a collection. And like, it's just it's it's. It's how cards are recognisable. It's you know, it's the art they use on like promotional material a lot of the time and stuff like that. And it's just yeah, you know, it's such an important. Part. Yeah, there are just there are so many good artists as well. Like yeah, not even not even good as in like technically skilled, but good as in like the art they produce really suits the game. I think if you look at like, thank you. We can talk about like how the art recently has become like a lot more homogenised, but the the I guess the, the the technically soundness of the art is probably better than ever because everything's done digitally. You can have like an infinite number of, of paintbrushes and sizes all all done digitally. You could you can have as as close to you know quote unquote perfect art as you want, but it, it doesn't necessarily always just suit the game as as something like one of the artists we've mentioned or or I I don't know like. Like, like Jeff Miracola, there's another artist I think is is very high on my list. Um, the guy that does all the Beebles. Yeah, I love the Beebles. They're great. Yeah, Beebles again, like not the most technically sound bits of art, but they're just they're just so iconic and flavorful, and just that style of art really meshes with the game so nicely. I think I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I just want to discuss that briefly. Uh, so first of all, I think they've started to move away again from homogeneity in the art. They they've moved away slightly from it again. Like you have people like Seb McKinnon who are like yeah. very very stylized, and it doesn't kind of feel like magic art in the same way. But it's like it's very very good, and they've started to do that more. And like pe- more people are allowed to sort of be more expressive again, like they used to be. Yeah, I I really love Seb McKinnon. I think as as 
far as modern art, modern artists go, I think Seb McKinnon is just the best one, hands down. Yeah, he's incredible. I think Seb McKinnon really does bring some of that old school feeling back to it, where it's like the style of the art is very much like traditional fantasy style as opposed to like like Magic the Gathering style, like modern Magic the Gathering style art. And and I really like that that fantasy flavour that he brings to it. Yeah, because it felt like when they were trying to like do planes and stuff, it was like, like we said, like making it homogenous, making it try and like feel like the plane and feel like magic and everything kind of had to look the same. Whereas yeah. like Semikon's art, like it is a depiction of things that are happening, but it also like it evokes more of a feeling and more of like, I don't want to sound like a knob, but like it evokes like an aura around the card, like a feeling of what the card does rather than just a depiction. Yeah, so sort of like like Bartram Blood and stuff. Like you can't really depict that, but Seth MacFarlane manages to, to depict like what that feels like and like the the sense that that art gives you of what the card does. Yeah. And my second point, also, most art is still traditionally made by artists with paint on canvas. Still, like that's how it works. People are like, oh, it's just computer generated art. Like it isn't. Most people like they take very very high res pictures of art they've done with a paintbrush on a canvas and then edit it slightly in Photoshop. It's not just all done on Photoshop. I, most people still do. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's. I don't know. I don't know if it's correct that most people still do, but I, I definitely think a vast. I don't know. I think a large percentage still do definitely. Philip Philip Berberin still does. Sam McKinnon still yeah, does. Like, yeah, they, they edit it in Photoshop, sure, and add stuff to it. But like most of the people do. Like Noah Bradley still does. Yeah, big, definitely. Big massive yeah. canvases and stuff. Like I think it's annoying when people are like, oh, it's just computer generated art now. That's why it's bad because I like back when Amy Weber used to do weird stuff with a paintbrush on a canvas. Like they just do yeah. really, really good technically proficient art on a canvas, then edit it in Photoshop to make it slightly better. Like it's still, it's still art on a canvas. Anyway, oh, yeah, it's just a bugbear. I, I think, I think a lot of that comes from like specifically Battle of a Zendikar block. I think had just some horrendous art, and you could you could very tell that it was that it was just it was digital. Um, in the way that's, I feel like sometimes with a digital art piece, uh, especially like things that I've seen from like other games, like you, it doesn't, like you said, sort of evoke that that emotion, that feeling. Like it looks very lifeless. It's like yeah, a technically sound bit of art, but it does look very lifeless. And I think Battle of Zendikar Block suffered from that horrendously. And I think I think that's where around that time period is where a lot of that that feeling of like oh, it's all digital or it all looks the same. It kind of comes from yeah, but was especially when like how stylized a lot of the original Zendikar block or, like, was with like yeah. the Jazz even talking about like Mark Team with like Emrakul, like how stylized a lot of that was. It feels bad that when like the return to Zendikar is just so generic. Yeah, definitely for such like a like a large, expansive plane with like mountains and just all sorts of kind of like strange like terrain and, and landscapes. But for Zendikar, the art just makes it look really flat and lifeless, which is. I guess the opposite of what you want for Zendikar. We should do an episode on art because we were talking yeah, about this we a lot. Totally we totally should. should. <laughs> we spent far too long talking about yeah. art here. I think we but absolutely need to move on. It's something that I care about a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's same. We should definitely do an episode on it. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Yeah. Cool. Our next question comes from Scott Yates, who says, uh, "Why does everyone shit on Oko? It's a fair and balanced card, and if you disagree, you're a Tory." Discuss. So, I mean, I guess I'm a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never thought I'd hear you say that. So I think I don't think Oko is a balanced card at all. Uh, do I think it's a fair card? Is a is a very different question. I mean, I think it's. I think, I think it's a fair I think card. It's. I think it's a fair card, but in the same sense that like Delver of Secrets is a fair card. Yeah, yeah. I like. It is a fair card in terms of what it's doing. It's not like doing anything like. Um, facilitating combos yeah it's, it's not like yeah. facilitating combos or anything it's just a very very good powerful card that does 
I mean, all it does is like beast within something, or makes a food, or uh, switcheroo something. Like all of those are fair abilities, but when you stack them on like that, on that with the numbers that they have on that card, it becomes like it feels unfair when you're playing against it because it feels like you can't play a game of magic. And I think yeah. that's what what people like fair unfair like you know the definitions of what what cards are and what decks are like becomes it's just so muddled at this point it's all just a gray area yeah, and, a, and, a, and a spectrum and a scale like the difference between aggro and mid-range and control is like so blurred at, at, at like at so many points and i think that's true of like cards when you say fair and unfair when you say fair and unfair what, what like you think of a fair deck as like a white weenie deck right and then you think of unfair as like ad nauseum tendrils right those are like yeah. your general things but that's it i, I think f- for me at least like if we're if we're if we're talking about the word fair in, in magic, I think I think just using the legacy meta game is a really way to discern what's fair and what's not fair. Like specifically, like I think everything else is just a bit too muddled or a bit too I guess low powered that the unfair decks aren't really that unfair. But I mean, even even then, like you can, you, it's a like fairness and I guess unfairness are a feeling a lot of the time where you're like you're playing against so, so like the fair decks are uh, Maverick, Death and Taxes, Burn, right? Um, to a certain extent like Grix's Control and stuff like that Delver's a fair deck but a lot yeah. of the time and you're, you're unfair decks you combo decks you're, you're Bomberman Ad Nauseam Tendrils uh, Cloud Post to a certain extent uh, 12 Post I guess but like it, at certain points you've definitely played games of Legacy where you've played against Burn and I thought well that wasn't that wasn't fair because you just died on turn 4 or you've played against um, a Grix's Control deck uh, and you're like, well, that wasn't fair because I didn't get to play a game because they had Forcible every time and they had a Thought Season, Him to Torak, and it didn't feel fair. Whereas all of those are fair cards. Like, Him to Torak is a fair card, right? But it also feels so unfair when you discard both, like the two lands you were going to play. Yeah, I think Him's quite a quite a good one there. I think Him is a fair card, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily balanced. That's the thing. Well, like, it, it, I think, well, like, Sinkhole or Stone Rain, like, they're fair cards, but it feels yeah. awful when you get Stone Rain or Sinkhold. And it feels like you've had an unfair game because you didn't get the chance to play Magic. But it, but it yeah. is. But like, Oko is very much a fair card. It was designed to be a fair card. The design on it is fair, right? Make yeah. a food. That's not very impactful. Turn something into a 3 3. That's good. And then switch through something which no one ever uses. Uh, like, it, they're all fair abilities, but it's not it's not well balanced. And I think that the balance is what affects the fairness a lot of the time, especially at, at least in a feeling when you're playing against it or with it in a game of Magic, is the balance is what makes it feel unfair. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's unfortunate we're both Tories now, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that, well, that is one of my one of my favourite expressions to use: calling someone a Tory when they do something that I disagree with. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think like it, it's not in any way a fair, it's a fair and balanced card. It's it's designed. It has fair mechanics, and it is the things it does are fair, but the way that they impact a game of Magic are unfair because yeah. they're not balanced for a reasonable game of Magic. And I mean, if it was a fair and balanced card, it wouldn't be banned in every format apart from Legacy and Vintage, right? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I think... I, I'm not sure whether this question was just meant to rile us up or uh, whether that's something that Scott actually believes. But, uh, yeah, it's it's provably not a very fair and, fair and balanced card. Um, it's Unless a, it, specifically in Legacy. I mean, it's a cool card. It is. I, I, yeah, that's it. Like, I... I think Oko deserves, like, absolutely deserves everything it gets, but it is still a cool card at the end of the day. I mean, I love Oko. It's one of my favourite cards yeah. to play because it feels so powerful. Yeah. And you can play because it, it feels so unfair. Yeah, that's the thing. But you play it in fair decks, right? Most of the time. Yeah. Like, sure, sure you play it. Like, you could, you played it alongside Urza in Modern and then just like did unfair nonsense. But like, Oko was a fair aspect of that deck. 
Yeah, it just, it just no, felt, I, felt unfair when you when you add all these things together and add Urza and add Mox Opal and add all this nonsense and you add Cryptic Command and whatever. It just it feels unfair. Yeah, but I think, like I said, I think if you, if you use like in terms of fair, like if you use like legacy and like the legacy meta game as the I guess the measuring stick when you're talking about fair and unfair and magic, I think it go perfectly falls falls into the fair category there. There are no fair decks in legacy. That's not true. Even even death and taxes feels unfair a lot of the time. If you're playing if you're playing storm, and it's, small it's, fair, it's fair though. Yeah, no. It feels unfair. Even anyway, like, yeah, yeah I, We could talk about this all day. That, well. That's that's the yeah sure. <laughs> so that, like that's, that's the point of of the deck though, because like the fair decks are meant to be there to keep the unfair decks in check. So. Yeah, keeping the nonsense in check, but sometimes they feel unfair mm. because you lose all the time and you don't get to play a game of magic because they wasteland you and wasteland you and then play a Thalia and you can't play any spells. And that's fine. That's yeah. what you sign up for playing Legacy. I mean, as someone that plays a lot of Wasteland Athalia, yes. <laughs> cool. Right. That's what I want to deal with. Next question. Cool. Next up, uh, this question comes from Jacopo. It is, what is the best colour in Magic, and why is it green exactly? Um, green is the best colour in Magic, um, and why is it green? Because uh, 2019 and 2020 exist. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I about. think. On a, on a serious note, I think. If you take all of magic, like the whole of magic into consideration, I think blue might still just be the best color. Well, yeah, because it's still the best color in vintage and legacy. So yeah, definitely based on the fact that yeah, you have ancestral recall, you have time walk. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's all you can think of. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. No, I just I don't think I don't think green is really that far behind. Like if you if you were to put them on like I don't know like if if they were if they if they were running a race it would definitely be a photo finish. I think if you're talking about modern magic and not necessarily modern the format, but if you're talking about modern yeah. magic, then green has certainly surpassed blue. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but there was there was certainly a time certainly a time when I've played and there's certainly a time if you, if you're talking in like you know old school cards and the first few sets if you're talking like up till like I tenth edition blue is just easily the best color and it's not close. Yeah, and if you if you incorporate, I mean, blue like it has been the best color up until well, it's certainly since I've played. Like while I was playing, blue was definitely the best color. Like Force of Will, Cryptic Command, Serum Vision, Snapcaster Mage, Preordain, Ponder, Brainstorm, like all of these nonsense cards are just so so powerful. Um, and green was nowhere close to that. But then yeah. as time has gone on, <laughs> like I said, like especially especially the last twelve months, eighteen months, like green's just got so much better. They've just keep kept pushing green cards and. You know, it start, starts with Corsair Prefix and then ends up with Veil of Summer and Oko yep. and Uro. And I guess, like, Oko and Uro are blue cards as well, right? So they still fall into that yeah, category. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at, like, uh, Nissa, who shakes the world, right? That's the, what, the yeah, spark one. Yeah, that's the standard one, yeah. Yeah, like, which is just, like, one of the best cards in standard. Um, and it's just the cornerstone of, like, every green deck. And it's because it's just so, so powerful. Um, and blue has been pared down because it doesn't get to do the free counters anymore. It doesn't get to draw an absurd amount of cards for for one mana or two mana anymore. Yeah, it it just doesn't get to draw more cards than your opponents, especially not in like standard or modern, because you have so many other ways to get cards now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the best counter spell printed since I've played Magic is Veil of Summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like agreed. blue doesn't really get good counter spells anymore. Like it gets to surely get like Force of Negation, which I guess kind of counts but like that's for a modern only set right where it, therefore it gets pushed 
Uh, yeah. But it doesn't. You don't get like cryptic command anymore. You don't get mana leak anymore. You don't get counter spell. You don't get force of will anymore. Really, um, and, and you know, green has just gone from green has just gone from strength to strength. And you have like prime time continuing to be incredibly powerful. Uh, mana dogs are just getting better and better. Like it, green is just very very good, and we've had to deal with a lot of stupid green cards. And like you know, I think they just they they were trying to push the green the green. Um, like the power level in green for for so long, and you can look at that even like in terms of commander. Like green has just got some of the best cards in commander for ages because you have like Beast Whisperer and Guardian Project, where you just like, okay, Soul of Harvest and uh, Primordial Sage were really like kind of medium as green card draw spells, but that's the kind of thing you do in green, and you, you ramp up to this thing, and then you cast more spells, and then you get draw cards, and now it's just like, well, they just cost four mana now. Yeah. And then you have stuff like the Great Henge. Like, why, why, why do we need the Great Henge? Why is that a card that <laughs> needs to exist? And like, that's one of the best cards that's been printed in Commander for a long time. For, for like, and it, they're just green cards. Yeah, uh, Great Great Henge, very playable on standard as well. It, yeah, <laughs> the green card that rumps you, gains you life, and draws a card and makes your creature bigger. Yeah, it's just it's just incredibly stupid. You, you, yeah. Like. Green keeps getting pushed, and green is easily the best color in Commander. It's not. It's not close in any kind of way uh, from that from that point of view, and it, that has been true for a while. But then they just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, where like mono green decks in Commander can now do anything that you want them to do because they have so much card draw that it doesn't matter what else they have, and you still have stuff like Beast within, um, and you just have the biggest creatures. So like <laughs> any other color can't remotely touch it. Like the next best mono color is probably black, and then you don't have naturalize. Or no particularly big creatures, you just have a lot of mana and removal and card draw. But, like, you know, yeah, green's just, it's easily the best color now. And I think, in terms of all magic, if you, if you go back to Vintage and Legacy, then sure, blue's still the best because it has Brainstorm and Ponder and Force of Will and Ancestral Recall and Time Walk. Um, and, you know, green isn't particularly playable in Vintage unless you're playing literally Survival of the Fist, which isn't really a green card, or Vengevine, which really mm-hmm. isn't a green card, or Hogak, which really isn't a green card. You know, that's not really a green card, right? Like it just happens to be green, and you can play green mana in your deck really easily. But you're not—it's not like a green deck in the same way that something like um, Amulet Titan is a green deck, right? Yeah. Or like Maverick true. is a green deck, or like that's true. You know, it, it, it's just it happens to be green. Um, the, the 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 green cards that are playable in Vintage aren't good because they aren't green cards. They're like cards that happen to be green, and I think that's a yeah. that's that's a distinction that yeah, you should definitely. make. I think. I, I agree there definitely. Whereas, like all vintage decks play, well, not all vintage decks, but most vintage decks play brainstorm, or, or and and ponder and ancestral recall and time walk if they can, and yep. snap custom age and force of will and mental misstep and you know, all the blue cards are broken. I mean, yeah, Gataxian probe, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> blue cards have also been broken, but it's just a, a blue cards, but green cards are more pushed than blue cards at least currently. He's currently definitely yeah. I think we'll see the, we'll see a shift to that as the year goes on. I think, but I, I agree. As far as like most magic that you're going to play, green is is definitely the best color currently. Yeah, it's also my favorite color. So good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right. Next. Next question. Is this your turn? Uh, it's your turn. Cool. Right. Our good friend Chris has asked us some questions. Yeah. What's your favorite post origin set? Dominaria not included, because I imagine he thinks you're just going to straight up say Dominaria. Yeah, so I, I think I had a good think about this, and I, I think, yeah, post-Origins, if Dominaria is on the table, like if we're talking just standard sets uh, and Dominaria is on the table, then absolutely Dominaria, hands down. 
Yep. But since since it's not since it's not available, uh, I I think again this one was quite easy for me. This just it just had to be Shadows of Innistrad. I can't believe you didn't say Arab Devastation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. It was a con- it was a consideration. A slight consideration, but yeah, just Shadows of Innistrad was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. what a good set. I think, like, every time they've they've set a, I guess set a set on on Innistrad, they've just knocked it out of the park in terms of like, card mechanics, card flavor, artwork, story, everything. Everything is so good. I think Innistrad is, is, possibly my favorite plane. It's definitely top three. It's possibly my favorite. It's very close, I think, if if not my favorite. I think I think it's probably top five for me. I would have, yeah. I would think. Yeah, I do really like. I, I I kind of like didn't engage with magic fully, or like pay that much attention when shadows were in Estrad and Eldritch Moon were like the standard sets. Yeah, I think I got so worn out by being murdered by Gideon Alev's Zendikar that I sort of <laughs> took away <laughs> from care about magic that much. Um, but yeah, like there are so many cards from from those sets that are just so impactful and so and so just fun to play I think is yeah definitely it, it was a really fun set it was a really cool set uh, I, I'm a big fan of the spooky flavour as well and it, it was done really well um, I liked the whole the cool kind of like mystery aspect of like um, like investigate and the art is incredible seeing all of like the just the strange hints especially at the time like when we we didn't know what the mystery was. Like we didn't know it was Emrakul. We we thought it probably was Emrakul, but we didn't know at the time. And you look at like just strange like subtle things in the art where you have like Thraven Inspector looking at like strange vines that are growing everywhere, and you just see like just the odd hint of like hmm, something's not quite right here, in, like a real eldritch way. Uh, and then you yeah you've got like. You said really fun, really cool cards in the set, so it was really cool to see again an un- an unplayable card in all formats. Really, the uh, the Aberrant Researcher, which was obviously a sequel to Delver Secrets. It was yeah, really I cool love to that see card. that one. I love that card. Uh, I think all of the Planeswalkers in the set are great as well. Um, Soren Grim Nemesis has has some some really memorable art. I think it was really really interesting art. Uh, that card was. It felt vaguely playable at the time. I definitely played a, a black-white Eldrazi deck that made good use of that, which was cool. I definitely won some FNMs, so, you know, <laughs> wasn't the worst. That's how you know a card is good. <laughs> yeah. Won some FNMs. Uh, win some FNMs, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, it had Nahiri the Harbinger, who was fantastic and was just like the total flavour of the month in Modern for a while when that card was, was released. It was really cool. I love the design of that card. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I remember losing a lot to Jeskai Nahiri decks and that, that, yeah. stint, that stint of modern, definitely. Yeah, that like month or month and a half. It was it was a bit odd, but it was fantastic. I loved that. Uh, we've got Arlen Cord, who is a fantastic character. I don't think her Planeswalker cards saw much play, but it was really cool to see this this werewolf Planeswalker. Uh, I like, really like the transformability on the Planeswalker as well. It was yeah, It was great to see that back. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think Shadows of Innistrad is like if I if I engage more with standard, I think at the time I'm probably more into it. Yeah. And more with draft, I'd like it more. But like, if you talk about specifically like the Shadows of Innistrad block, I guess like um, I love Nahiri, I love Tamio, um, I love Emrakul, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you have stuff like uh, uh, Liliana, like probably the best Liliana card now. Last hope, probably. 
it's probably slightly better than the Veil. I yeah, I'm not sure. I think I think Veil might be better slightly, still. Sure. Just but like I guess to use my analogy from before, if it's a race, it's a photo finish, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and then like you have Tardis Tracker, Collector Brutali. Like there's so many like sweet like like Ulvermold Hydrail. I'm a big fan of that card. Like I think there's so many cool yeah. cards from that set that I'm a big fan of. Well, Tireless Tracker was Shadow of Innistrad. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. So yeah, like and that's one of my favorite cards ever. Um, yeah. If so I was gonna just, if I was gonna design a magic card, it would probably look like Tireless Tracker. Uh, I think if yeah. I was gonna design a magic card, it would look like another one of my favorite cards from the set, Triskaidekaphobia. Yeah, Triskaidekaphobia is sweet. Like so much of the flavor it's of that like, set is great. That card, that card is just just everything. I, everything I want in like a like a weird spooky alternate win condition. That's totally it. Yeah, it's so sweet. You just yeah, you look at the the set and remember, like even at the time in standard, like there were so many playable cards in that set. It was great. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a very good pick. So for me, aged it's aged very well, like a fine wine. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, I think for, for me, this question is like kind of difficult because I think in terms of favorite set, like I had to look at it like so like I said, like Shadows of Innistrad has a lot of really great cards that I like to play, like namely Tardis Tracker and such. But I think like if I'm going to look at this from like the cards that I like, that I like to play with, or like the plane, or like how it feels and and stuff like that, or just like the general feel of the set. I think like, um, I think Theros Beyond Death might be up there. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> this is the I thing. I was not expecting that one. That's yeah, like one. I really love Theros as a plane, and it was you know yeah. it was one of the, the, the it was the first block that I like properly engaged with. So like Ravnica block was the first block I played, and I love Ravnica. Though unfortunately the re- the, the return to return to Ravnica didn't like. I love Ravnica. Like, Ravnica's probably my favourite plane. Um, but Girls of Ravnica sure. and Ravnica Allegiance and more of the Spark didn't really hit me the same way, though I still love the plane. Um, yep. But, like, I, 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 so I've always loved Ravnica because Return to Ravnica block was the first block I played. But, like, Theros was the first block that I, like, properly engaged with and loved. And, like, I love the flavour of that. And, like, some of the cards and the gods are amazing. And, like, I, I, I like Corsair of Crucifix. And, like, I love Kiora, even though she's kind of bad. And stuff like that. So like Theros Beyond Death like harkens back to that for me, and then it has like some really cool cards like Dryad of Illusion Grove and Uro. I get green cards, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I also love Croxa sure. and like the Titans, and I think they're really, really cool. I love the design of Clothis and like the lore behind Clothis. Um, and I, it's just like I think Escape's a great uh, mechanic. I think the limited set is really, really fun. I've really been enjoying playing it. Um, I, I just like I really like that set. And then there's also Throne of Eldraine. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> I love Throne of Eldraine just because the flavor of the set. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's like a fantastic setting. Um, yeah. it's just a shame that all the cards were too powerful. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, I also love Questing Beast and Oko, and like I love playing Oko because I exclusively play Oko in a fair deck, like we were talking about earlier. And I think that's okay. One of my so you're you're a big fan of green green cards print in 2019 and 2020? Yes, I actually am. I'm also a big <laughs> fan of Veil of Summer. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think Throne of Eldraine is certainly up there for me. Um, yeah. I just love the flavor of it, and, and like I, I really like the Kenrith story because um, the story felt was really really good, and it didn't really seem to get much traction, which is unfortunate. But like I think because R- R- it wasn't published anywhere but an ebook. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate that you had like, to purchase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like the story is really cool. I really like Oko as a character. I think Oko is really cool. I love Garrick. Garrick's probably like it's certainly my top five planeswalkers, um, and his re- redemption arc's really really cool. Um, and it's nice to see him. Like, hopefully, we'll get like a monogreen Garrick again soon. Um, but yeah, like, like the King Camera story is great. Uh, you, you have stuff like Gingerbrute, <laughs> which is like one, yeah. probably one of my favorite cards printed last year. Um, and that limited set was fine. But like, I just, I just love the fantasy setting. Um, 
I just love, I just love Shrek. So if yeah, you can imagine totally. that's just Shrek, then it's just great. Um, yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I, I think they would be very. Those two sets would definitely be very low down on my own personal list. But I I do think they do have some some very good cards, and I I think that the story has been a bit lacking for me. I think in in terms of those sets, but the flavor has certainly been spot on in. in um, in definitely Throne of Eldraine, um, Theros Beyond Death a, a bit, a bit less, but that has, I think that's got more sort of cards in general that I like to play with than Throne of Eldraine. Yeah, definitely. I think this thing, but I think yeah, those, those two, sets, those two cool. sets, they have a combination of cards that I enjoy playing and also like sets and like settings and lore that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think like, like uh, Hour of Devastation in terms of lore, like is probably my favorite. Like in terms of like exclusively lore, because I love Nickel Bowlers. Yeah, uh, which again is a very, yeah, very it, basic answer. It was very good. I think if we're talking exclusively law, then I might go with Eldritch Moon because it's got my favorite magic story in it. Yeah, the, 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 the final the final showdown with Emrakul, which was just just incredible. Um, yeah, I guess I'd, I guess I guess I didn't really talk about the story from Shadows of Innistrad. So yeah, so I think the story for Shadows of Innistrad was really cool. I think. I, it's been a while since I've read them, but I remember them being like different sort of one-shot looks at the at the plane, but also you had like the main sort of madness of Avacyn storyline running through it all. So you had um, like one week we had like the Gitrock monster story, uh, and you had all of the weird spooky stuff that was going on there. But then at the same time, you know, there were people were talking about oh Avacyn and what's happening with the angels, and then the next week you had like Gisha uh, and Grelf. Writing letters, writing letters to each other, which I think is another one of my favourite stories that they've done in Magic, because it was just so unique just to see uh, the story written that way, and it was yeah. really fun. Yep, and then at the same time, you had like mentions of like, oh, this has happened in Thraben, and oh, oh something about the angels, and throughout all of like the the sort of individual stories, they all really came together, and you just saw this like really cool bigger picture of what was going on in the plane. And the main storyline of Jace doing is, is investigating work. Yeah, I think like this is the thing. I think we like just the stories. I think of that block, like sh- Shadows into Eldritch Moon. I just love that story. So like every aspect of it. Like I said, like I love I love Nahiri. I love Sarin. I love Tamio. Uh, I love Thalia. Like Thalia's part of that story is really, really cool. Like you get you like flesh her out more as a character. Yeah. Um, and then once you get to the Emrakul storyline with like the whole Emrakul thing when like Emrakul's just like taking over groups of people and they're all like descending into madness and becoming her followers like I think like that story is like one of my favourites I think yeah. but I, th- I think the Hour of Devastation story tops it slightly just because like I-, I mean I'm a big fan of gods <laughs> I guess because I really like Theros and I really like the like sort of the Amonkhet and yeah like this fanatical devotion and then Nicol Bolas being behind it all and you get like Razaketh as well who I think is a really cool character um, and like I just really enjoyed that story and like so much so much of that, that story was written from like um, like sort of non-characters perspectives just like yeah. random people who were like trying to become like worthy enough to go through go to the, through to the afterlife right and then they get um, turned into Eternals and then <laughs> go back to murder their own family and stuff and I just think like there was so much emotion in that story it was so well written and it like it did hit me really hard when I saw it uh, when I saw it when I read it and, and like same with like people reacting to the like the gods that they've devoted their lives to just being slaughtered in front of them by massive yeah. scorpions and locusts like I, I just think I, I really enjoy that story and like I said I love Bolas <laughs> so and that's like probably the best Bolas story 
Um, yeah, like I do I like War so. of the Spark, like in terms of that that story, um, like you know the, the general overarching story, not the actual story that was written. Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, I was going to say <laughs> I like I like Bolus's characterization. I think in in the War of the Spark stuff, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, definitely. It's just like this this like he is the, he is the God Pharaoh, right? But I think yeah. that, that like when that's characterized the best is through Arrow Devastation. I think that's my favorite set story wise. Yeah, I, I think pick... so. You get to really see the. I guess the the cult of personality that he built up, and when he explains the story about, um, I don't know if it's if it's actually in, it's in the Hour of Devastation story or if it's in Nixland story when they're talking to Azor, when he's explaining Bolas is is talking about going from plane to plane and and building those massive monuments to himself and recruiting all of these planes. Thank you. Really get to see the sort of person Bolas is. Yeah, definitely. I think just like his all of his dialogue is just so great. He's just like so yeah. malevolent and like still so charismatic. And just like has such a low regard for everyone else and their intelligence and their ability to 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 fight him and beat him. I just think he's he's, he's such a great character. I think Iron Devastation like really exemplifies that really really well. Yeah, so if I had totally. to pick, I, I had to pick a set in terms of specific lore and magic cards I enjoy playing. It's probably just Throne of Eldraine, which is probably not not anyone else's favorite set, but it, it is. I love it. It's it's got to be someone else's, but yeah, I think I think it was quite easy for me. Shadows of Innistrad, if Domino is off the table, and even then, like I'm going through the spoiler for it now, the visual spoiler, and I'm just like, yeah, this this set was amazing. So I guess we move on to our, our final question, I guess. Yes, Chris also has one last question. Yeah, and that is, what's the best decision Wizard the Coast has made in the time since you started the podcast? Now I'm sure there have been some. <laughs> some good decisions yeah, I'm sure, sure. they've made some good decisions but it is it is really really difficult to pick them out at the minute because it just feels like we've been bombarded by so many things they've done that we just dislike or disagree yeah. with or that have negatively impacted magic that it's hard to pass the last two years and actually pick out some great decisions they've made because um, I think when we started the podcast we didn't really have a problem with the things what we were doing really right yeah, it just feels I, like I think so. I think things have changed a lot, and they've changed very rapidly. I think. Yeah, I think like starting with the introduction of uh, the MPL, it's just all kind of gone a bit downhill on a, like from from a lot of different axes. Yeah, like whether that be like uh, organized play and competitive play, or like <laughs> the whole story thing, or like some of the cards that they've made, and it just it all feels like a culmination of lots of bad decisions. Uh, or make like I'm, sh- I'm sure most of them are well intended, but you know it's just the decisions that have just continually ground down magic and, and negatively affected them. Yeah, uh, I think certainly one good decision I can I can point to is uh, <laughs> them putting up Vintage Cube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think that is that that's definitely a a reasonable positive change is the fact that you have so many more different ways to play the game in a more accessible way now like there is always there's always a cube or strange draft format up on magic online like constantly like if yeah, it's not definitely. if it's not a cube then it'll be like a flashback draft and there's always something there which is fantastic i feel like that's something that they should have done for years yeah i can give you that as a, as a change definitely last thing it's just like pointing to the best change is just very very difficult because like i said like it's all clouded by the fact that they've definitely made some poor decisions in the last 18 months so yeah i think i if i had to pick one uh one change i guess one decision what he has made in the time we started the podcast it's i think it, it comes probably comes down to two things 
which sure. may be related in some way. I think for for me it would be the the reintroduction of corsets. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I think that's a very very good thing. I think it's a very important thing. Like for all they are a bit of a turn off for enfranchised players as far as gameplay goes. Um, I think they are a very important product for for new players. Magic constantly always needs new players. It, it's always it's always losing players as, uh, as those decisions keep happening. But uh, yeah, definitely. It it always needs new players. New players always need a place to start. Corsets are, are fantastic for that. Uh, and I think, I guess, I kind of want to couple it with with the other decision. Which I guess is the design, the design decisions that they put into core sets now. Uh, I guess the, the slightly sort of changed design. Uh, the fact that they've, they've said that there are going to be a lot more reprints, which is great. Which is that's exactly what core sets need. Core sets need more reprints, so I think that's a great decision. But also uh, the fact that they've, at least what we've seen so far, they've amped up the power slightly as well, which again is, is also good. I think while the cards might not be necessarily overly complex they're definitely a bit more powerful which which is great like it's it's not like you shouldn't have to play like a tuned down version of magic um to play a simplistic version of magic like you can i feel like you know enfranchised players getting to play with lightning bolts while new players get to play with shock is is something that i don't like i think all players should have access to the same power level of cards regardless of their experience of the game um especially when it is is something as 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 complex or or i guess not complex as my pay one to deal x damage yeah i think i think, I think yeah treating treating new players as i guess i guess i don't know like taking the gloves off a bit and just saying hey you, these cards are are a bit more simplistic in terms of like the me- mechanics are easy to grasp they're very easy to grok but the cards are still powerful and playable it's a very good pl- decision it's a very good place for corsets to be and i guess another thing i want to tie into that is is the way they, they balance the draft formats um really in the the corsets as well it's with the the cycle of like of uh of like two color uncommons so that's something we've seen. We've seen a lot. It's the the signposting specifically within, um, of course, sets again is fantastic for new players. Yeah, I think I think that might be, that might be my answer to this question, is the the decision to put signpost gold uncommons in basically every draft set now. Yeah. Because um, you've got you've got it in Theros Beyond Death between like uh, Siona and Acolyte of Affliction. Is that the one I'm thinking of? The green black one. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you've got the the, red, the like every, everyone ha- has one, and like some of them aren't great. Like the red black one in Thrust Beyond Death isn't very good because the sacrifice deck isn't the sacrifice deck is never good. The, the red black sacrifice deck is never good in any format. But um, I really like those as like sign, signposts for a, for a, for a draft because it really just shows you what's going on. I think that's it's, it's improved limited, and I think limited the sets have been really strong for a while now. I think Thron- yeah, Throne of Valdrain so. wasn't great. But it was still fun. Like I, I would draft that set again. Um, I draft M twenty again. Really, I think it was really good fun. I think Theros Beyond Death has been my favorite draft format of the last twelve months, probably. I think that just eclipses Ravnica Allegiance, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it does at this point. Yeah. So Girls of Ravnica was kind of crappy, though. If you got into like we were saying, 
uh, on a previous episode, like the, the Grixis colours, you could definitely play some powerful and fun and interactive magic, which was cool. Um, but yeah, like, Gravica Allegiance was good. Um, War of the Spark was at least interesting and fun, like, because you got to play with Planeswalkers. Yeah, it definitely, it, it felt like no other draft format I'd played before, but it was it was definitely a, an interesting experience. It was certainly engaging. Uh, yeah. You have Modern Horizons was certainly a great draft format. That was really, really good fun. Yeah, agreed. I loved um, that one. Yeah, like, the, the, the draft has been going straight to strength, and I think putting, like, signpost golden commons for, like, each colour pair and, like, showing to you exactly what you should be doing even though it's a little bit handholdy it's just like it's just made the draft formats just so great because you can know that you're meant to be in those colors and it, it shows you what you should be doing and the cards you should be drafting and it just makes things like come together slightly easier you know yeah definitely i think that's one of the best like, I, I've made. like overall i do think like limited is probably my favorite way to play magic as, as much as I, I love a handful of constructor formats i think limited is definitely my favorite way to play and again just having that that way to make limited a little bit easier um, for for newer players is is just what the game needs. It's very important. So I, I think the best decisions were what you have made uh, in the time we've since we started the podcast have definitely been in terms of in terms of accessibility and, and growth. I think it it feels like yes, there are a lot more products now for a lot more different types of people, but. I feel like now more than ever, it's it's so much easier to get into magic and and engage with magic on on every level. Yeah, absolutely. Like that might not absolutely. be that might not not all be necessarily decisions that that Watsi have made, but I think the decisions that they have made in those areas have have mostly been been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think that their design continues to be continues to improve, even if they keep missing the mark, right? With, with Oko and Vale of Summer and Oro and what have you, like yeah. It, the design's still great, and they're still trying, especially with limited. And I think the thing is, like, I think, yeah, I, I am just going to pick the the gold signpost and comments as the best decision they've made since I, since we started this podcast, just because it's so it, it it just feels so good for every point you're playing. So like new players, yeah, see um, uh, a Sayona, right, or like the the red blue flash chimera thing. I can't remember his name. <laughs> I have drafted the set, set a lot. Oh, of like, like Adelie's the Cinderwind in Dominaria draft. Yeah, exactly. You see that, and you're like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing then. So I'll, I'll draft cards that work well with this and synergize with this. I understand this. This makes sense, and it, it brings you back to the draft format. You feel like you've accomplished something because you you understood what was going on in the draft. And draft can be daunting for a lot of for a lot of people when they start playing. But then it yeah. also for, for people like us or like seasoned players or people like who are playing in PTs and stuff, uh, you get that reward. Where you like you've been you've been really paying attention to the draft and what colors were open and what's being passed to you and where you can where you can find your opening and then you like get past like a fifth pick, blue black uncommon, and you feel like, oh it's all come together and it really really pays off, and then that makes your deck slightly better than it had been where you're just like a random collection of cards that kind of work together, so I think they're a really good decision they've made draft a lot more accessible a lot more rewarding and a lot more powerful I think in, in a lot of respects, so yeah, I, yeah, I think that's definitely. my that's, that's my favorite decision that they've made. Cool right this this yeah. episode is uh, long. It is. It's, it's going to be a long one. So thank you very much if you have stuck with us this whole way. Absolutely. I mean, and, th- this yeah. episode was like self-indulgent, I guess. But I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoy just talking about like random topics and just getting to talk about it for a, for a bit longer rather than having to like dedicate a whole episode to it. Yeah, definitely. I, I've I've enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I have so many opinions and I, I like to be able to just get them out, I guess, occasionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. It's been 100 episodes. How... Yeah, how do you how do you feel about the the podcast? One hundred episodes in is, is my question to you, I guess. 
and I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still enjoying it. It's still, like I like I said, yeah. it's just like I get to carve out a few hours um, of a random evening and just talk to you about magic, and that, that's just fun. And if people enjoy it and engage with it, then that's even better. And like I got, I've always said, like I I never started a podcast to. <clears throat> To, to be successful or to be like you know a big a big deal content creator or anything like that because I don't I don't if, if I wanted to do that I would put more time in and, and put more work in but I, I just do it because it's something I enjoy doing and it, it's rewarding to have like a, an hour of something that you feel proud to put out into the world um, yeah yeah I still definitely enjoy it absolutely and yeah I'm just grateful that some people listen to it and seem to enjoy it and want to engage with us and you know ask us these questions which I'm very appreciative for. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep doing it until we literally can't anymore. <laughs> it's basically how I feel about it. Yeah, and who knows when that might be because of the, the current state of the world. <laughs> I don't know, we're going to have a lot of time. But this is the thing with, with the current state of the world. Is that my, 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 my daily life hasn't changed <laughs> like, yeah. at, like at all because uh, I still have to just go to work every day uh, and do my thing and then come back and I still have the same amount of hours in the day that I had before. Like I don't have like yeah. loads more time to make content, unfortunately. Um, which I would had had over time, but uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm still having a good time, I'm still doing it, I'm still enjoying it. Good, yeah. good, I'm glad. Absolutely, I'm assuming you feel the same way. Oh yeah, absolutely, otherwise you, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't still be still be making it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, very much. Like you said, there there was no no real like goal, I guess, other than just to like just to just to chat shit about magic every week and and put it out there because like. Because why not? If it's something we're going to do anyway, why not just hit record and then, you know, spend a bit of time doing some editing to make it into something vaguely listenable, and then put it out there. If it gets more people talking, then then fantastic. Because that's that's it. At the end of the day, it's 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 about magic. It's about magic the gathering, and it's it's that gathering part that we always say is the the real sort of crux of the game. And yeah, just being able to like engage in in the wider magic community and like a in a non-zero amount I think it's something that I really enjoy and this is certainly one way to do it yeah absolutely I mean like like you said like we'd have these conversations anyway yeah it's just an excuse to make some content out of it I guess and then hopefully people enjoy it and people want to listen to it I guess yeah sweet alright well this is going awesome. to be a long one so let's so tie it up I guess <laughs> <laughs> I hear that's it it is and it's quite a long one this week like we said but that we're, just, the, the, we're kind of going to flub it right here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> you've kind of, you've done so well. <laughs> I know we've. Uh, it's been it's been a good one, definitely. But we are approaching the the second arrow. Uh, if you want to hit us up on social media, uh, did you enjoy this week's episode? If you, if you enjoyed, have you enjoyed the podcast? Are you a first time listener? <laughs> It'd be quite strange if you are. I think listening in a, at uh, this bizarre self indulgent episode. It's not always like this. I wish it yeah, was. Yeah, if, if you if you have listened at all, any you know any amount of time over the past hundred episodes, we we really appreciate it. I just want to say a, say a big thank you. We will, you know, regardless of of if anybody at all listens, we'll we'll continue to do this. But any listeners we do get, we do greatly appreciate. And if you want to get in touch with us and engage with us, like our awesome listeners this week have, you can get at us on social media. On Twitter, we are at hfdcast, facebook.com slash hfdcast. Or you can get us on, on soundcloud.com slash stations where we usually have this podcast hosted. Uh, if you want to give back in a monetary value at all, get us on patreon.com slash stations for a number of different tiers. Tiers starting as little as $1 per month. That's roughly 20 to 25 cents per episode. Uh, we've got some 
I mean, at least I have some major time off over the next few weeks. I'm working from home now currently, so I'm going to be putting a lot more content and a lot more work into revamping how we we do our Patreon currently. And I think it's going to be going to be definitely worth it to sign up if that's something that you are interested in. Yeah, it's it's a difficult time for a lot of people uh, money wise. Um, so don't feel obligated to 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 donate. Yeah, absolutely. We, we do massively appreciate those those that do. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that maybe need some extra cash at, at this point and i think germany not not to undersell ourselves but germany will be fine right yeah absolutely yeah. so there are a lot of people that do that do need some extra cash so if there's, if there's content creators you enjoy there are people whose whose stuff you you get a lot of enjoyment from maybe consider giving them some money if you can because it's a hard time for everyone and will be kind of okay <laughs> i think for now uh yeah you can find the podcast on soundcloud and spotify and itunes and i'm very aware that my voice was very weird through that entire thing uh, if you want to go to one of those platforms and give us a review or a rating or some kind of comment or just share it with your friends we'd really appreciate it and just help it get out to, to more people because we're going to do it anyway so more people might as well listen to it <laughs> awesome yeah if you want to catch me on my own social per- my own social personal media yeah. <laughs> what is happening Joe I think uh, I think isolation has finally got to your brain yeah I've been inside for 14 days now <laughs> just if you want to catch <laughs> slowly turning to mush you want to catch me on my own personal social media that's better you can find me on twitter at peachgardenoaf that's over for f on facebook i'm joe loudon you'll find me in pretty much any of the magic groups or you can catch me at twitch.tv slash peachgardenoaf where i'm going to be streaming quite a bit over the next who knows how long how long i'll be indoors but yeah i'll be there i'll be streaming uh we, we did some Vintage Cube the other night, which was really fun. There's going to be some more before the Cube ends on Wednesday. So hopefully you'll come see me there. Yeah, and then you can listen to this and realise that Vintage Cube has now ended and that, that this is in the past and you can't watch Joe play Vintage yeah, Cube live. sadly. It's very sad. Sadly. Hopefully they'll extend it. I really want them to extend it, but you never know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at snail69. Nice. Thank you very much. Um, Twitter's a difficult place at the minute. It's all just sort of doom and gloom. Um, there's not a lot more that I can say (laughs) I'm just doing what everyone else is doing and complaining about the state of the world well maybe Icoria spoilers this week will change that oh you've got a lot of doom and gloom to say about those but that's probably better safe next week (laughs) that is that is absolutely I think we're going to have a a blinder of a show next week so if you have enjoyed this week at all please tune in next week but for now once again we are approaching the second hour the Godfarer has returned we'll see you again next week on Arrow Devastation